you know, given the challenges that I've faced, like, I don't know how I would have coped or managed with them um, if I hadn't <laughs> discovered this, that God remains present in all of it. Um, that, and that there's incredible things to be learned in those who, who know poverty and grief and all of those things, like who are so well acquainted with those things, that there really is um, blessedness in brokenness. So I've been fascinated for some time by one of the great tensions of our shared humanity, our propensity to experience at one and the same time both great love and great suffering, where we can find ourselves both holy and broken, hurting and healed. As a pastor, I've seen people face the worst moments of life and yet in them discover the greatest moments of their humanity, where suffering and struggle and injustice birth something profoundly honest and real and hopeful. If you're anything like me, I yearn to hear stories of women and men from around the world who have found themselves wrestling with God and as a result have walked away with a beautiful limp. I'm Andrew Gardner, and this is a broken hallelujah. And this is episode nine. And in episode nine, I get to chat with a new friend. Her name is Erin Oxford. She's based in Toronto, uh, and she does work with um, the homeless, uh, those that are uh, marginalized in the city of Toronto, Canada. Um, and she's given her life really to serving those that um, are nomadic in their life. Uh, and in that, she's created a nomadic ministry, a ministry without walls, without a location. Uh, and she is literally living in and uh, with community uh, with those that don't have a home. Um, and we just have a fascinating conversation about what that's like, uh, what it's like to work with vulnerable communities like that, um, how we get to extend grace to them, uh, what their suffering journeys are like, uh, and how God meets them in the midst of it. Um, over the process of our communication together, uh, we talk about what nomadic ministry is all about, um, how we can define home as relationships rather than a physicality, uh, the messiness of working with people on the margins and she's very honest uh, about her journey in that. Um, we talk about the Beatitudes and how God approaches uh, a way of understanding the poor and the vulnerable uh, that really is an encouragement to shaping our theology uh, towards a better theology of justice. We talk about brokenness and God's presence with people in brokenness. Uh, we talk about the importance of celebration, uh, how to handle the ups and downs of working with vulnerable people, uh, and ultimately how how to create good, safe places in our churches for those that are marginalized. And if you're listening to this and you're a pastor or you're somebody who works in a church, or even if you're just somebody who attends a church, but you have a heart for more vulnerable and marginalized people, we talk a lot about what does it mean to create safe spaces in our churches for the marginalized. So that's all coming up in our conversation with Aaron. Uh, I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. So let's just jump straight into it. Uh, here's my conversation with Aaron Oxford. Well, welcome, Aaron, to uh, A Broken Hallelujah. It's such a privilege to be able to chat to you today. Thank you for having me. 
Absolutely. Now, um, first of all, we'd love to just know a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, uh, where you're from, uh, and kind of what you're doing right now um, and uh, where you're based um, so that uh, I guess everybody that's listening can kind of connect into the heart of who you are as a person. Yes. Well, um, my name is Aaron. I was uh, born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, it's been my home my entire life. Uh, I have uh, one brother uh, who happens to live on the same street as me, which is kind of amazing. And I, uh, I am a lover of, of music, um, of all things creative, really. Uh, and mm. when I ended up um, in Bible college, actually, I encountered uh, two people who had previously uh, or had lived experience of being on the street. And they invited me uh, one night to hand out bag lunches, actually, on the street. Mm -hmm. And so I remember going downtown, you know, right into the city that I already knew so well, um, and being armed with these lunches and having this experience of feeling very disarmed by how at home I felt um, hmm. while I was sitting and engaging with um, some people who were living in this parking lot um, in a essentially a cardboard box uh, right. and it really changed uh, the trajectory of my life. Um, I've spent my entire adult life as a result um, journeying alongside people who uh, know poverty and um, some of the resulting challenges of that. Uh, mm -hmm. Along the way, I got married. Um, so I'm married to Dion. We have a daughter named Kate, who is now 18 years old, which I can hardly believe I have an 18-year-old <laughs> daughter. Um, I'll be praying for you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'll need that. <laughs> um, no, she's great. She's amazing. It's just a big transition time, I think. Um, and I have been working in uh, the a West End neighborhood in Toronto called Parkdale since 2007. In 2012, uh, I became the executive director and pastor of what is now called the Dale Ministries. Um, and at the Dale, we want to invite all people uh, into our space, our different spaces, um, mm -hmm. while making very intentional space for those who are often uh, kept in the margins um, or pushed into the margins. Right. Uh, and we do this, I mean, COVID has made things look a lot different, um, but for the most part, we have an established nomadic routine where we go to, we have programs um, in different buildings throughout the neighborhood and outdoors. Uh, we like to spend a lot of time together. Uh, mm -hmm. We are a community that wants to invite people into full participation of it so that it's not just something that, you know, I or the my coworkers are doing for people, but that we are doing things together. Um, right. 
so we have drop-ins. Uh, we center a lot of what we do around a table, typically. Um, we think there's a unique sense of community uh, built when you're sharing food with one another. Um, mm, yeah. And I would say that we are trying really hard to acknowledge our common, broken humanity. <laughs> and that when we do, um, we can start to journey toward deeper wholeness um, in Christ. Uh, right. So, yeah, that that's some of what we're doing at the Dale. <laughs> There's so much... <laughs> There's so much we can unpack, I think, uh, in this that really, I think, fascinates me. I think mm. the first is the idea of nomadic ministry. And I, and I think this is something that, you know, in, in, you know, in the COVID time, a lot of people are beginning to think a little bit more about, but, um, that's not yeah. what drove you guys into that. Um, so I'd love to explore this idea of what it's like to, um, have a ministry that, that meets uh, nomadically, um, and how you do that and kind of how that came upon for you guys and whether, whether that was a theological imperative in terms of how you wanted to do your ministry or whether that was something that you were almost forced into. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you mean by nomadic ministry and, and how that came about for you guys. Yeah, definitely. So I would say that um, it it was something that was born out of crisis for us. We had previously been known as Parkdale Neighborhood Church. Um, mm -hmm. Before that, Parkdale Baptist Church. And uh, Parkdale Baptist Church had a very large um, building, church building, uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, as the neighborhood started to change from being one of affluence to one that uh, was dealing more with poverty, um, that congregation really shrunk. And uh, ultimately, the decision was to sell that building. Um, it was bulldozed and actually... Right. To like right now is a parking lot. <laughs> um, now that building was one that I never saw. Uh, so Parkdale Neighborhood Ch Church was renting space. Uh, our challenge was that by placing people at our core, who again, often aren't, who are dealing with poverty in a variety of ways, uh, mm -hmm. we, we learned that it was very challenging to be a church that would uh, be sustained based on the tithes and offerings of our people. Um, right. Not that people weren't giving generously out of what they had. Uh, it just wasn't enough to sustain us financially. So we hit um, a critical time where we were not just out, like we were beyond being out of money. <laughs> uh, we kind of <laughs> hit the edge and went over it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, at the time, I became the only staff member and was invited by our board to uh, into my current role and to revision how we were going to do ministry in the neighborhood. And that was a terrifying and exciting uh, thing to be invited into. Um, I had a deep sense um, that it was something I... I needed to step into, uh, right. however scary it may be. <laughs> and so yeah. that revisioning involved um, 
deciding that we would extinguish as much expense as possible, which for us was very wrapped up in that rented space. Uh, and mm. so we gave notice to the landlord. Um, we purged most of our belongings, kept only a few things really. And on a sunny day near the end of June uh, 2012, I took the sign down from the door and the gate. Um, and I like to say it was the day that we spilled into the street. <laughs> um, and because at the time, I, we didn't yet know what was going to be next. The irony maybe was that though we couldn't afford the building anymore, we were thriving as a community and we're actually even outgrowing the space that was our had been ours um right, right and so it didn't make sense i mean the two options at the time felt like we either close down or we do something radical and to me the closing down really wasn't an option so i remember telling the community uh that we needed to leave the space and there were lots of questions uh good questions um, about that and where we were going. And at the time I said, you know, honestly, I, I don't know. We don't know yet, but it was, we were heading into the summer and I thought, well, you know, if we need to, we'll have our drop-in in the park. Um, that's possible right now. And everybody, I don't remember actually a single person who after that discussion was like, this is crazy we can't do this everybody sort of <laughs> shrugged their shoulders and said uh, okay well let's do this and mm. um because one of the things that became apparent was that so many people in our community uh understood what it meant to be transient uh what it meant to sort of to not have um a regular home Mm -hmm. uh, and so for them, it was a very powerful thing that we would be willing to take that risk to be transient ourselves. Uh, hmm. And I think that what was born out of that was this amazing, um, fierce, almost uh, protection um, of what was now the Dale uh, by the community. Um, right. So it was... It was hard to like I I never felt alone. <laughs> um, it's amazing to think that you know I think so often in our churches, um, our building and and obviously there's nothing wrong with buildings, right? Sure. But yeah. our buildings become our home. Like we we actually put we actually define home as a physical thing, mm -hmm. um, rather than defining home as relationships or people. And I guess. Um, that my question for you would be: How have you seen this transient um, experience for your ministry? Obviously, it brings you into solidarity because you're, you know, you're walking alongside a number of people who are transient themselves. But how have you found that uh, strengthen your concept of home? That's a good question. Well, I I think in a few ways. Um, one is that it was a. It is a constant reminder to me and to us that the church is not a building, um, mm. that it is made up um, of these 
you know, of living, breathing <laughs> beings uh, mm-hmm. created in the image of God. Um, and so to relegate it only to a building, as important as buildings are, um, has done, I think, the church a disservice. Uh, a lot of damage, actually, I would say. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Mm. And a lot of that has, I think, become even more exposed and apparent because of COVID. Um, right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think it also um, has taught me and us about, um, I, like, we always thought that relationships were important, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it it made them even more so. Um, I think we as a community are learning what it means to find home in one another and in and in God um, mm. to to sort of build this connection that, you know, just today I was talking about um, the how, you know, God is the vine and we are the branches and there's this abiding that happens um, together. And so that's been really beautiful to lean into <laughs> and um, and discover together. And I think also, you know, for so many of my people, um, they don't, they're not housed, right? And you realize right. too that there is a difference between being housed and having a home. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be housed and and not have a home at all. And so at the right, Dale, right. we get to explore what it means to build home together uh, wherever we find ourselves. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I just love that because I think that is such a, a an important thing for the global church to be reflecting on right now. Um, and I think you know, there's something quite beautiful in your story where um, that transient group of people that you're ministering to have taught you so much, I guess, um, about the the redefining of home. Uh, and it's of course something we see in scripture. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, Israel being so nomadic, and yet this idea of a promised land. Um, but then the early church kind of considering that their promised land is sort of the Greek or Roman Empire. It's like this idea of yeast and dough, right? It's like, you know, it's us in our context, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, bringing the hope of Christ into the midst of that. Um, but we we all know that that's messy work, and you know, and as I'm and as I'm listening to you and. You know the church that I'm connected to here in Hong Kong. We we also do ministry to those that are on the margins and are, who are vulnerable. And so I, I know firsthand it's 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 not an easy thing and it's quite messy at times. What what's that journey been like for you? And how have you managed or handled um, the messiness? I guess that comes with serving such vulnerable communities. Mm. Yeah, I like to say that the Dale is a is a very messy and very beautiful <laughs> place right. um, that those two things um, sort of coexist. I would say that, um, I mean, so a little bit more about myself. I, I really am no, no stranger to um, challenge in my own life. Um, it certainly hasn't looked like what it has for many of my friends. I've never been, without a house, um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but I've experienced a lot of, uh, death and a lot of serious illness, um, not in myself, but in, um, 
very foundational people around me. Right. Um, and so what I, what I've discovered at the Dale is that, um, that many of my friends wear their brokenness very close to the surface. And mm-hmm. it's with things that, you know, even if they wanted to hide, they unfortunately couldn't, um, you know, certain mental health uh, challenges or struggle with addiction, um, for mm-hmm. instance. Uh, and I'm no less broken. Um it's just that I might have the capacity to kind of push everything down and manage it in a way that doesn't expose it to everybody around me. And right, right. what many, uh, again, what many of my folks have taught me or even given me permission to do is to take off any mask that I may have been wearing <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to uh, be willing to share as transparently as they do. Um, right. So that's been really important to me. Um, mm. I think that it's meant that I've I've learned a lot about what it means to um, be share my vulnerabilities. Um, now, when I say that, I don't mean that I'm exposing all the time all the nitty gritty of everything. <laughs> right, um, you're not hanging out your dirty laundry. Uh, for the yeah, no, so, and that yeah. that's not what is expected for vulnerability. Right. But that there's an authenticity um, mm. to my sharing. I think that's been really important, um, and also I think that's in turn uh, made it possible for for me to be in this for as long as I have been um, because I'm not pretending to be um, in control or uh, to be anyone's savior. <laughs> right. Uh, or, or even, or even perhaps to be a leader. I mean, you are obviously a leader amongst your people, but in some senses it's like you're one of the community, right? Like, yes. and, and, and taking the posture of being one of the community, a community serving a community, if you will, uh, is obviously, I think probably what creates that, that welcoming environment for people. It's like, we're, we're kind of all in this together, uh, rather than here's the person that's telling me what I should do. Um, and with that, do you find, um, you know, what, what's it like to kind of, live your faith alongside of this community's faith um because i would imagine when you're dealing with mental health issues you're dealing with drug addiction or other addictive behaviors um within your community um there's a very you know i'd be fascinated to hear the stories or or you know people's faith journey in that and how have you found your own faith journey in comparison to seeing the faith journey of those that are particularly you know on the margins in your community Oh, I know that my faith journey has um, grown exponentially because of um, the faith of my friends. Um, I think that I've really come to reflect a lot on the Beatitudes (laughs) and Mm -hmm. how I think that they reveal the uh, the way that God takes the hardest things and actually makes them sacred. Um, I once did a word study on the word blessed because I was intrigued by the way that we always use the word bless as though 
God's blessings are always for us. And, um, and I was fascinated to discover that the origin of the word bless actually means to consecrate and speak well of most often toward God. Um, so like, for instance, let the name of God be blessed, right? Forever and ever. Um, it's, there's evidence of that throughout the Psalms. Um, and so if we view the Beatitudes through that lens, I think that they reveal how God consecrates our grief and poverty, um, how God holds up and makes blessed those who are poor and broken, uh, re revealing them, I think, as precious and having connection um, to him. And then similarly, when we seek peace, when we show mercy, when we mourn, when we are meek, God is connected to us, that there isn't an absence of God in life's greatest challenges. And, right. you know, given the challenges that I've faced, like, I don't know how I would have coped or managed with them um, if I hadn't <laughs> discovered this. Right. That God remains present in all of it. Um, that, and that there's incredible things to be learned in those who who know poverty and grief and all of those things, like who are so well acquainted with those things, that there really is um, blessedness in brokenness. And I think that's such a, a, a beautiful way of saying it. Um, and I guess our challenge is not to then glorify brokenness because I, I you know I, I think that's something i find myself mm. doing at times but if you will when, I, when we work with the vulnerable communities that we work with it's almost like you know i don't know like like it's almost like you can take it to that place of like um almost wanting brokenness in order to find restoration <laughs> if you will <laughs> yes um, which yeah. which is a weird, a weird concept but um but in your in your journey with your community um what have you seen of God in people's brokenness? Like, how how have you seen them express a relationship with God, which might be different to yours, or or has awoken your relationship with God in different ways? What what is it? Um, how is it that they express their faith that you think is beautiful? That you think is something of God that we rarely see unless we are embedded with those that are in in poverty situations. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that. You know, for a lot of um, a lot of the community at the Dale, uh, it, they there's a they're very matter of fact in some ways about um, the pain and the challenge of life. Um, right, and so it there isn't a glorification of it. Um, there, it's more. Um, I mean, they're just trying to, I think, just figure it out. I mean, it doesn't, you know, like there's lots of stuff that doesn't make sense and um, right. it is so hard. Um, and so I'm always struck by um, how I think just some of what's stripped away because of those challenges leaves this incredible space for, um, for celebration, for mm. naming, um, the things that they're grateful for that a lot mm -hmm. of us would take for granted. 
Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about expressing, like, what does it mean to express gratitude and how um, almost when you start to do it, it's like you need to exercise the muscle of it. <laughs> and um, and so, you know, like, I just love our prayer time at the Dale when we say, like, you know, why don't you, even if you don't know what to say, Maybe you're struggling to know what to say in prayer today, but what's one thing that you're grateful for? And, um, you know, one person who I think is wise in ways that she doesn't even know spoke of this, <laughs> this little plant that she had found that was left behind on a doorstep, took it home, nurtured it for, you know, days and days or weeks and weeks. And then finally there was like a little bud and she was so thrilled that she kissed it. <laughs> oh, isn't that amazing? Thought, how beautiful is that? Like that it's, you know, that people aren't just sitting in the pain. I mean, sometimes people need to, certainly. Right, right. Um, Absolutely. But that there's this, yeah, this beautiful capacity for for gratitude, for people love to, there's a lot of music that happens at the Dale. Um, people like to dance. <laughs> and it just mm. reminds me, I think it was C.S. Lewis, I think, who talked about how, um, you know, there, there's a time for mourning and there's a time for joy, Those that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's actually mm -hmm. the same time. I think right. that's right. what I get to experience a lot of. That's, I mean, it's amazing that those two things do sit together. You know, um, I was just reflecting yesterday on that moment for David when, you know, his, his, he's praying for his son's life and his son passes away and he goes in and worships. And you think, mm. I want a relationship with God like that, you know, that in, mm. in the depths of grief and anger, probably, you know, there's this offer of praise and gratitude, like you're, like you've been saying. Um, and I think, you know, it sounds like you've experienced that deeply with the community that you've been work, walking with. Um, and that's just a, yeah, it's just a, such a hopeful thing. Um, I, I also know, and again, I don't want to project too much of my own experience onto your experience, but I, I do know working with some of the vulnerable and marginalized in my community um, that there's, um, there's a lot of personal sacrifice that goes with that. Um, there's quite a lot of personal pain that goes with that, um, being let down perhaps by, by those within that community or, or even being, um, um, you know, I've had experiences where, you know, put a lot of trust in some individuals and there those individuals have let me down and, you know, just like that sort of that hurtful side of ministering, I guess, to, to broken people, mm -hmm. um, that broken people do, do, you know, um, sort of can, uh, react in that way and, and can, um, you know, my, my wife's a counselor and she often says hurting people hurt people. And that's often the way it is. And I think we all do that because we're all hurting. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's right. but, but what's, what's that been like for you and how do you handle what can be quite at times severe up and downs in relationships with those that are on the margins and how do you handle that personally? Hmm. Yeah. Another good question. Um, well, I mean, I, I think for me, um, I'm somebody who has had to work really hard um, in my life to overcome some people-pleasing <laughs> tendencies. 
Um, okay. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you a two? Are you I, a two on the Yes, Instagram? I am a two on the <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, yeah. I'm a, you, I'm a, I'm a two right as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's because I'm a two as well. So I'm like, I'm, I, I, I get you. Yeah. Okay. You feel me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, so I, I think I have found, um, like that my capacity to be, um, hurt or challenged in any kind of relationship, um, mm-hmm. no matter what the, um, sort of background of the person is, um, has been, uh, heightened maybe at times. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've, what I've learned along the way, um, when, when it does hurt (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, when a relationship goes sideways, um, I, I really need to turn, well, I feel like I sort of, am always almost like incessantly praying. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like too much for me. Like my brain just can't slow down. Stop. Um, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But I know that prayer has been a huge part um, of me managing um, hard relationships. I think um, being able to, so my, my husband had, you know, has spent um, also much uh, his career, uh, doing similar work. Okay. And he's, um, a very different number than I am on the Enneagram. He's an, he's an eight. (laughs) And, um, and so I think there was something really healthy and good about being able to come home and share with him in a way that I knew he understood, um, because, because he was in similar situations all the time. Um, but also, um, managed it very differently than me. And so Mm -hmm. learning to kind of like, I think ultimately that has helped bring some balance into my life. Um, I feel much more capable now of speaking very directly back into a situation that is not feeling so good. Um, and that has helped a lot. Um, Again, as a two, I think learning that um, I can't fix everything. Um, that 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 idea that like when you know that a hurting person might hurt somebody else, like that that's not um, that's more about what's going on in that person than it is about me. And right. yeah. that was a big shift in my thinking um, because before it would be, well, what's wrong with me? What what do I need? Like, how can I fix this? How can I smooth this? And releasing some of that, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, that's like faulty sense of control, um, right? Has has really helped me. Um, and then the flip side is that I I feel, in fact, very cared for by um, by the Dale. And again, it's messy and it's beautiful. And I'm not claiming at all that um, that there aren't things that go very sideways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, yeah. You know, there absolutely are. Um, and uh, we, like, we really are learning how to um, have hard conversations together. We're learning about what it means to forgive. I see a lot of that modeled, actually, too. Um by others and uh and 
again, I just, I feel like I could tell so many stories about the ways in which I've been cared for. Um, right. And so yeah. it's really not like, I, I, I wouldn't ever feel comfortable about saying that it's just been this life sucking, um, difficult, uh, experience for me. Um, there are certainly moments of that. Uh, but, um, I somehow feel, uh, filled and like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And uh, right. And I think that that's the grace, isn't it? It's kind of the grace of God for you in this context as well, um, which mm-hmm. uh, is so critical to um, our ability to sustain, I think, life in the midst of you know this kind of ministry. And so um, one, one of the things that I've heard you mention a few times is this idea of creating a safe space for people. Um, and I'm just conscious that some of the people listening to this podcast are going to be people that are involved in churches who are probably w- wanting to create more ministry, perhaps, to those that are struggling in their communities, um, to more of those on the margins in their communities. Um, and the idea of creating a safe space in our churches, I think, is such an important thing. But I think it's actually something we don't do very well, very often. Uh, I'd love to hear from you what you guys have done to be intentional about creating a safe space. Uh, what does that look like? Uh, and maybe any sort of words of advice you might have for others uh, as they think about what creating safe spaces could look like in the local church. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think uh, so one of the things that um, I acknowledge <laughs> is that I don't, I don't know that it's possible to create an entirely safe space. Um I think right. that uh, we want it to be um, as safe as possible, certainly. Um, so the way that that gets worked out at the Dale, for instance, um, is that we we say a few things. We say that we want to welcome people as they are, um, and so that does mean that if you know if somebody is inebriated, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. that there's they're still welcome to to be there um, uh, at the same time if um, that person is contributing to making this the space unsafe for others right we will address that behavior so mm. sometimes that means that uh, it's actually not the best place for that person to be that day uh, important for us is that when we, if we do need to ask somebody to go, uh, that what we're never doing is sort of retracting or relinquishing, um, retracting relationship. Right. right. Uh, what we want is for people to be able to know that they can come back again and try again. Um, mm-hmm. And so we will, like, we'll challenge a variety of behaviors if somebody's. Um, you know, uh, saying something to somebody else based on their, the color of their skin or their Mm -hmm. orientation or any of those things, we will um, speak into that and, um, and do our best to, uh, to maintain the safety of the space. Um, I I think um, it does mean being willing to to head into the messy. (laughs) 
Right. Um, right. And so there's no way to guarantee <laughs> uh, <laughs> that things won't be messy. But I, I, I would encourage people or implore people even um, to uh, to maybe exercise that muscle, <laughs> just like the gratitude mm -hmm. muscle. We can exercise the uh, the capacity for mess muscle. Um, yes. And and start like trying really hard to have your like collectively our, our eyes open um, at what is there for us to learn uh, when our spaces are uh, welcoming and enfolding to all people. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's, mm -hmm. yeah, mess and and beauty that those things can coexist together. Uh, the, the final thing I wanted to just explore with you is the, uh, the concept of grace. Um, and um, just listening to you today, and um, I can sense um, just a beautiful um, mantle of grace on you um, and how you work with the vulnerable and the poor. And I think you have to have grace in that context. Um, as we've talked about quite a bit in our conversation, it can be messy, it can be hard. Um, can you tell me a little bit about... Um, that sense of grace for you, um, how, you know, do you sense yourself being somebody of grace? Uh, and if so, like, how do you maintain that grace? Like, how do you continue to offer grace uh, in your context to people that perhaps don't ever, um, reply, you know, respond to that or don't ever, um, you know, um, are uh, never grateful for it or, or whatever it might be? Um, how do you remain somebody tightly tied to grace in the midst of the work you're doing? Hmm. Well, I, I hope to be a person of grace. I'll start by that, <laughs> by saying that. Um, yeah. I, um, I certainly uh, want that to be um, a, a theme <laughs> that runs throughout everything that we do at the Dale, mm. um, that we, uh, we love um, a creator, a God who does extend this amazing grace um, to us that we are beloved. Um, mm. And I think that that's something that is very powerful when, when if you're somebody who has not uh, heard very often um, that they are loved, uh, mm -hmm. hearing that, um, offers a tremendous amount of grace. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, and I think that um, grace is a real journey for all of us. I, um, sometimes I tell a story and this person knows I tell this story, but he, <laughs> um, I remember uh, him showing up uh, to what we called our um, February feast at the Dale, which was a turkey dinner in February because everybody ate way too much turkey at Christmas time and there's nothing going on in February. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it included an open stage and I found myself, um, standing in front of this, uh, he felt larger than life, um, had a guitar slung across his back, um, a fist full of rings that were skulls powering over me saying what is this place and i remember sort of like cowering and 
like, <laughs> hi, this is the deal. <laughs> You're welcome to stay. And uh, he introduced himself that night um, as Snake Man because the only companions that he currently had in life were these four snakes, like I'm talking the animal snakes um, right. in, uh, in a, a rooming house um, that hmm. years later uh, was deemed um, illegal. And, and the journey that Snake Man and I went on uh, was a hard one. There were times when um, he was not used to being a part of a place that wouldn't just kick him out. And, uh, and we really struggled through, um, some significant anger. Uh, mm -hmm. and I remember the turning point for him was when he'd, he'd gotten angry, disappeared for a few weeks and, uh, three of us went looking for him. And so we went to the place where he was living. We called, we knocked on the door, we were throwing rocks at the, you know, third story window trying to get his attention and mm -hmm. um we actually didn't find him that day uh that wasn't the end of the story um right but he heard that we'd gone looking for him and that was the beginning of something different hmm. and um and so i mean it got to the point where um you know we uh, we came to know that his name was Doug, is Doug, and Doug has, you know, my husband has multiple sclerosis, and uh, before he was in a wheelchair was falling with some regularity, and I couldn't pick him up, and right. Doug uh, made sure that I knew that I could call him at any time of night, <laughs> and that he would come and pick Dion up wow. if needed, and uh, he even, out of his uh, very uh, limited income, decided that he wanted to send me to get a massage. <laughs> and, uh, like, it was just so beautiful. And But I am convinced that none of that would have been possible if, um, if Grace had not marked our relationship. Right, right. Um, and <laughs> so, again, you know, it's been... Uh, transformative for Doug and um, and transformative for me uh, mm. to be on that journey with him. Mm. Amazing. Erin, um, I'm just so grateful uh, that you've taken the time today to to chat with us and just open up your stories and open up the work you're doing. And I'm sure a number of people listening would probably love to maybe reach out and connect with you or uh, hear more about the work you're doing. Um, how can people stay in touch with you um, after this podcast? Oh, they can. Um, well, if you go to our website, uh, www.thedale.org, org um you can find uh all of my contact info the dale is also um active on social media so we are on facebook um on instagram you know those kinds of things i also blog um using wordpress so aaronoxford.wordpress.com um any any one of those ways um you can reach out and I would love to connect. 
Wonderful. Hey, we're so honored that you would share your story and obviously also the stories of some of those that are in the community. And um, we're grateful for that. And um, and just thank you for uh, pursuing, I guess, the call of God on your life and what the Spirit of God is doing in and through you and the way that he's gracing you for this community. I think it's going to be very inspiring for people who are listening as they think about what it means to reach out to to those on the margins in their own communities, in their own neighborhoods, uh, and even the pastors that are listening and thinking about how do they create more safe spaces for for the people that they really want to be ministering to. So thanks, Aaron, so much for joining us today. Thanks for taking the time. We're so grateful to you. Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you, and um, I've really, yeah, enjoyed getting to know you as well. So thank you. Yeah, really grateful to Erin for just taking that time to be with us today and just opening up her story of walking with those that are uh, really from um, vulnerable, marginalized environments uh, within an urban environment. And I think there's a lot in that conversation uh, for all of us, particularly those of us that are dealing uh, with that kind of vulnerable community and how we can be more welcoming and opening churches in that reality. So thank you, Erin, so much for joining us. Um, Coming up next time is our 10th episode of A Broken Hallelujah, our 10th episode. I can't believe uh, we've gotten to 10 so quickly. Um, And I wanted to do something special and different for the 10th episode. So uh, I've invited in Chelsea Wong. Uh, Chelsea is the wife of Joshua Wong. And Joshua was the one who kicked off A Broken Hallelujah, the very first episode. Um, And many of you know Josh's story uh, of cancer and then unfortunately his passing. Um, And I thought it would be fantastic for the 10th episode to circle back to that story. uh, But hear it from the perspective of Josh's wife, Chelsea, and she has such incredible insight uh, about what that journey was like for them as a couple, uh, what that was like for their marriage, uh, and in particular what grief is like and how she's walking in a real season of grief right now. She's very open and vulnerable in that conversation. I think it's going to be a huge blessing to hear from her. So that's going to be episode 10. That's our next episode coming up and uh, can't wait to join you all again uh, to hear Chelsea's story. Uh, until then, Uh, Everyone do well. Bless you guys.